11 Financial Lessons Learned from the Last Dance. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Brian, I'm so excited about this because, you know, I, I don't generally watch a lot of TV, but this whole coronavirus, COVID thing has caused me and my wife, we can't go out to dinners as often. We can't do that kind of stuff. So we've been watching some TV. So we've watched a few documentaries and this- <laughs> Tiger King. Tiger King was the one that we started with. Uh, and this MJ document, because I kind of remember as a child, a little bit about MJ. I don't, I don't remember like a ton because I wasn't watching the NBA back then. So it's been wonderful for me to see what was happening in the 90s through this MJ reign. So let's start this off with some controversy. Uh, okay. Because I've had this debate, you know, with my, my guys at the gym, because they're all younger. LeBron or Jordan, and I think everybody who, because we all have recency bias. Sure. By the way, we've done shows on recency bias and financial. That's a whole other topic. But I think everybody knows LeBron is an incredible athlete. Of course. And then you, you hear about this legend of Michael Jordan, but there's a whole generation that doesn't know really much about Michael Jordan. Yeah. And then I think, and let's go bigger than that. Let's talk about the Bulls in general during the 90s were incredible. And here's, I want you guys to get some perspective on how big of a deal this was. When I was, a, a, a and, and, and I was kind of a, let's just say middle, you know, from, because I was in high school when, actually no, I was graduating high school win all the they started winning the championships okay and then i was in college during the the second part so th this was all in my wheelhouse and then i i was even because i played basketball growing up sure. played a lot of basketball growing up played in high school um so this was right in my wheelhouse and that's what here here's what i think is interesting is i texted i haven't seen a lot of my childhood friends in years well because we moved up here to tennessee they're still down in georgia but coincidentally sense. I reconnected with my high school best friends, and we went to spring training before COVID-19 kind of shut everything down. Sure. And that was a re great reconnection. So I, I texted my – because I texted one of my buddies from, from childhood, and I said, look, I know growing up, if I, if I had the visual of my bedroom – and, and the poster selection in my bedroom is hilarious because I had Prince – and I had Michael Jackson <laughs> hanging on the walls with okay, some, so you, you know, like, like the music. higher education okay. yeah. poster that I that I have in in Daniel's office. That, like, don't you know, just believe you yeah, can achieve. Or yeah, something I mean, like I had that. I had that type of motivational stuff. But my buddy Josh, who was also on the basketball team with me growing up, loved basketball as much as I did. That whenever I'd go to his house, and by the way, kid lottery status. When you have a close friend. That you go to their house, go to spend the night parties, but then you find out that close friend is moving into your neighborhood. It is like kid lottery. You realize, oh my God, my, <laughs> one of my best friends is moving into the childhood neighborhood. So Josh moved into our neighborhood when I was in middle school. So I go to his house all the time and right on his wall was this Michael Jordan poster. Right. And I, so I texted Josh. I said, hey man, I'm watching Last Dance. This thing's blowing my mind. I said... Do you you remember when we were kids and you had that poster of Michael Jordan, you know, in all of his glory? And he goes, "Yeah." He texted me back immediately. He goes, I, "My 17 year old son thinks LeBron's better, so I've been slowly showing him. So I've got actually that Michael Jordan poster sitting over my mantle as we're watching Last Dance together as, as an educational." So I was like, "You got to take a picture of that. I need you to send me a picture of you, your son, and the Michael Jordan poster." So. Josh actually sent me the poster. So this is one of my childhood best friends. And that is the actual poster. It is so – this is pre-91 pre because this is back when Michael Jordan actually had hair sure. um, in there. But you can see it. I mean, glorious. And I thought it was great that Tucker, his son, wearing his Final Four. I mean, you can tell this is a sports family. Uh -huh. And Tucker's a pretty good athlete too. I mean, so it's it was just a great thing thinking about all those things. So I was like, there's got to be – you don't realize when you're dealing with greatness – are there some teachable moments sure. from it? Is there something? Because all throughout when I started watching this last dance, I was like, there are teachable moments. Yeah. Holy cow, there is something here that we ought to grab, teach, and learn. Plus, it allows us to kind of talk about something that we're really excited about Well, it's right just now. been fun watching this. And, and, and I don't know if this is a sickness or what, Brian, but I know that as me and you are interacting with like cultural stuff going on and we're watching you know different things, 
it always, I feel like, comes back to personal finance. I think we're just mutants that are wired that way. And so as we were watching, it's like, man, you know, this thing that they just talked about, there's a, there's a personal finance takeaway. There's something that you can take from this and use to make your personal financial situation better. Well, think about what we do for a living. We're wealth managers, work with wealthy families, mm-hmm. successful families, business owners, executives. And one of the greatest things I love about what we do for a living is that we get to go and observe, watch these super successful people, and then kind of glean what was the things, what is the special ingredients, what is the secret sauce, what is the pixie dust mm-hmm. that is making these people so successful. Guys, that's what, when you watch a documentary like The Last Dance, there are de- definitely teachable moments, and let's kind of jump in and Love hit it. a few of these. So number one, we got 11 of these. So number one is, at first, you don't succeed, keep going. So everybody, you can see the picture. Michael Jordan is what comes to mind because anybody who played high school ball about the time I did got the story from their coach. And by the way, my pastor even used this at church like two weeks ago on our our streaming service, is that everybody knows... Michael Jordan got cut from his so- in his sophomore year of high school. And if you're somebody who doesn't know that, you're sitting there thinking, well, how is that even possible, right? The greatest basketball of all, all time couldn't even make his high school squad. So you hear that. So that's what everybody's like thinking. Brian's going to talk about sophomore year because this is where the building blocks is. And yes, it's true. I think it is a great come-from-behind underdog story. What is always left out of that is Michael Jordan grew six inches. That kind of helps. <laughs> so, uh, if you're not good at basketball and you get six inches taller, it kind of helps. My high school bit. coach never shared that little tidbit. <laughs> so there's the catch on why Michael Jordan went from being cut to becoming awesome is that he also became much more substantial sure. in size. So, but I do think that there is some teachable moments here, and we'll get into the planning concept. But think about Dennis Rodman. I want to go beyond Michael Jordan. Dennis Rodman was a janitor at Dallas Fort Worth International Airport. Not some basketball phenom superstar. He was just working a job, just trying to pay the bills. Uh, not, I would say he did not have the uh, the the opportunity that you would think that a NBA superstar would have had early on. Now, there is a theme. There is a theme. He also grew like six (laughs) inches, and that's when he started playing basketball and realized there was something there. And then Scottie Pippen, here's what I thought was interesting on Scottie Pippen. If you talk about if you don't succeed, keep going. Mm -hmm. Scottie Pippen grew up in a rough – not rough is not the right word. It's just a – a, a sad or or let's just say a lot of hardship sure. in his life because he was one of 12 children. His father um, had a stroke when he was younger and then passed away, was in a wheelchair from the stroke. Sure. He had an older brother who had a unfortunate accent that also was in a wheelchair. All those things. And here's the quote from Scottie Pippen. The things that have happened for me, to me, have helped me grow up. And that led me, when I heard that statement while I was watching it, I immediately thought about Malcolm Gladwell. When you read the book, um, David versus Goliath, yep. he talks about desired difficulties. And in that, that always hits me hard because, um, you know, I have an autistic daughter, sure. but also I'm dyslexic. My daughter is dyslexic. And you hear about all these super successful people that are also dyslexic. And you realize that sometimes you can have what's called a desired difficulty, meaning that negative stuff can happen and actually turn into a positive. So are there some teachable concepts there? Yeah, that was actually the planning concept that we thought. I mean, obviously, you know, if you fall off the horse, get back on and try to go again. But we thought it goes a little bit ste- little bit deeper. The planning concept that we took out of this first one is that you can, in fact, teach your mind to turn negatives into positives. And we were even thinking about some personal ones, uh, specifically uh, early on in your life. And then as we started working together, I don't know, 10 years ago, where some negatives, some failures actually led to some pretty exciting successes. Well, you think about Michael Jordan, where does that competitive spirit come from? He shares in one of the earlier episodes of The Last Dance is that he was always trying to get his dad's acceptance. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that love for your parents or trying to get their acceptance. And he was always, he had this older brother that his dad loved working with. Made me think of like, I lost my father at a young age. Mm-hmm. And you could see kind of that was kind of symbolized when Michael lost his. Yep. But then I was thinking about bring it to something more fun so that I don't tear up like Jordan did. Sure. Bo, you and I have had some wins and losses as well. Uh-huh. Back in 2009, we came up with this coaching. We'd already started the pot, the Money Guy show started in 2006, started having some success. I was like, okay, this is great for the consumer, educating people of these concepts. But how about if we help advisors mm-hmm. to know how to work 
as well to do this best. So we came up with this concept of advisor skills. And we worked with Cheryl Holland, who's an awesome advisor out of Columbia, South Carolina. But here's a, a blast from the fast picture we found when we were doing some show prep. You know, we had the foresight. With, foresight. We thought, you know, the first day of recording, we're going to take a picture of this. And one day we're going to look back and say, hey, do you remember when? We were thinking like the whole, you know, uh, Steve from Jobs a, a, a in the garage. A position of success. Yeah. yeah from a, but they actually, the show turned out, I will still tell you, I think it was a success because we turned, you know, lemons into lemonade, but it just never, the concept never worked. Yep. We didn't make money off of it. Um, Cheryl was great, but it just never got traction. Sure. So it is one of those things, but I always tell people the desired difficulty that came from this negative outcome was, you notice that there are two mic stands there, two microphones, Bo with much more hair, looking much younger <laughs> with that snazzy sweater vest, Super keeping nice his core warm. Vest. He, um, you know, I had that extra microphone, so that's when I brought Bo on to the Money Guy show right mm -hmm. after this because we had yep. this extra microphone. So sometimes you can take a negative situation, like a loss from a failure of a business, yep. turn it positive. I feel like every one of these individuals, Jordan, Rodman, Pippen, they had negative stuff happen. Even Phil Jackson, the coach, had negative stuff yep. to happen. Figure out how if you don't succeed at first that you get back and keep going. Love it. So wash the dirt off and keep it rolling. Love it. Number two. Surround yourself with the right people. Yeah, this one is so interesting, you know, because everyone talks about how great Michael Jordan was. He's, you know, a lot of folks say he's the greatest of all time. But then normally in those conversations, it usually devolves into, well, yeah, look who we had around him. Look who his supporting cast was. And we thought, you know, that that's kind of interesting. A lot of the most successful people that we see even today will attribute a lot of the success that they've had to the people whom they surrounded themselves with. Well, and I even, I just because I get philosophical and I look for coincidences, maybe because I'm a numbers nerd too, Jim Rohn has that famous quote. Here's the quote. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yep, that's right. Guess how many players are on the, each team on the court at the time? Five, Five at a time. That's so it. it's just kind of, I always thought it was great. And that, that's the part that I liked how this documentary series focused on not just Michael Jordan. Look, he's a, he's a priority focus, sure. no, no doubt. But they did focus on Phil Jackson, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen. I mean, you got to, to know this entire team and know what was working with them and what created this. And then, Bo, you, I think you brought this up in pre-show planning. When they did this segment talking about the dream team, bringing in all these greats for the Olympics, I mean, you had you know, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, all, them, yep. all these great guys. Um, <laughs> I, thought, it, I, I just I went – Christian Leitner, you know, because um, that's a blast from my past. But it's just, you know, you throw in all these names – and that's a positive because they talked about how they had never had such good scrimmages. Yep. It was fun. But then there's some negatives, well, too. Well, I think what's so great is that the, um, the, the caliber of bringing all those people together, they all acknowledge this. Every player on the court said, it made all of us better. Having that level of competition, surrounding ourselves with other greats, not just folks that we knew we could go out there and beat and perform well, but surrounding ourselves with people that were going to push us, it lifted up the entire dream team and made them the force that they were. But there is a negative because you can see, and, and by the way, the, and not to pick on you, Bo, but when I, when I brought up the last dance, mm -hmm. you're like, man, I hate that Michael Jordan seemed like he had all his talent, but I hate that he just wasn't a great dude. Right. And a lot of that is that, that hangover cloud that was – over Jordan because of the gambling. Yep, that's right. And what it was, you know, and by the way, I, I think that this this documentary is doing a great job of showing that this was much more complex than the press probably mm -hmm. made it out to be in the 90s yep. with Jordan and his gambling. But it was, I will tell you, the negative, I think, of be careful who you hang out with. Jordan did end up doing some gambling with what there's no other word to call them but hustlers, yep. people who were in the gray area of the law. Um, that probably was not the greatest things for somebody like Michael Jordan to be doing. That's exactly right. You can surround yourself with people that lift you up, but you can also surround yourself with people that pull you down. And so you just have to be aware of that. If you're going to be the sum of the five people that you hang around, Make sure those five people are the folks pulling you up onto the rock, not the folks pulling you down into the valley. So from a planning concept, talking about what you can do for yourself, I think this goes beyond just your friends. Now, look, it definitely applies to friends, family, and those type of things. Hang out with the right influences. 
But also, you should get yourself good counsel. Yep. You know, there's nothing wrong when you reach a level of success that you should have a good CPA, mm -hmm. a good financial advisor, a good estate attorney. Absolutely. You need to have these type of influences to make sure stuff is not slipping through the cracks and you're not doing fi your financial life it, right. You have to make sure that you filter the information you receive. If your CPA, your accountant gives you some tax advice, yeah, maybe you should take that and use that. If your next door neighbor tells you about the hot stock that they picked this year that made them 36%, is your next door neighbor really the person qualified to be giving you investment advice? Make sure you understand it through that filter. And just to kind of close out this point, if you're young watching this, go find a mentor. Oh, I think yeah. if you can Great surround point. yourself with somebody who's done what you, where you, if they are where you want to be, have figured out how to do it, go see if there's something to be learned. Go get that mentor. Go work for them for that 10,000 hours, of that, you know, that five years so yep. you can build that knowledge expertise to become a beast of whatever industry you're working in. Love it. Number three, know what you're good at and what is your part. Yeah, this one was another one that was interesting because I think as you watch the Last Dance documentary, you, you see this shift in MJ, right? He recognized the thing that he was good at, but what he needed to do was a little bit different than the thing that he was the best at. Yeah, I mean, he was, no doubt he was a scoring machine. And I thought one of the greatest quotes in there was somebody had said to him, hey, there's no I in team. Mm -hmm. He goes, but yeah, but there is an I in win. <laughs> and I thought that was a great thing. So, but, that, that shows, but I will tell you there was an evolution with Michael Jordan in the fact that I think he realized that he did not have to do it all. That's right. It was okay to transition to more of a team approach. He yep. still There was going to be a place for him to be lifted up, but the success of the team could elevate him even to a higher place sure. but it's it, but it's also think about it. Michael Jordan by himself cuz you know if you think about from his rookie year thinking about the 83 84 period they didn't get their first championship until 1991 right. they had to build the right players you had to get Scottie Pippen in there who's a well-rounded weapon mm -hmm. You know, they had some championships there. And then when it came comes back, the second three mm -hmm. that they went for, um, Dennis Rodman was a defensive, defensive wall. I, I mean, awkward, weird, quirky, but man, was nobody hustled like Dennis Rodman. I can't Rodman. remember the stat, but I saw this stat that was like, and I can't remember the last dance or just some of the research I've done because I'm super nerdy. Like how many 0.25 rebound games that Dennis Rodman had and how many other folks in the league have ever done that. Yeah. Like he had more than all the other folks who've ever done that. He just knew what he was good at. He knew what his specialty was, and he knew what his part was. So that's a great segue into what's the planning concept is know what you do better than 95% of the world, and then try to figure out is there some value in that? Is there something marketable? Is there something economic? Because if you can do that, your life just got a lot easier and probably a lot more fulfilling. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it was one of our, I think we were talking to one of our clients, and we, we actually asked him, because he had some kids who were, you know, and, and he was the one who kind of laid that on us. He said, look, guys, here, here's, the, here's the trick. Be excellent at what you do. Even, even if all you do is you go into a factory and you work on the line and you're doing widgets, be an excellent widget maker. And when you do that, financial success and success in general will kind of find a way to find you. It will show up. I, I remember it was actually a money guy watcher, became a money guy family member, yep. became a money guy prospect, now a financial planning client. His name is John, and he, he did. I asked him one day, it came up in a conversation, I said, how are all your adult children so successful? Because that's one of the biggest indicators of success. And he shared, I just told my kids, find out what you do better, top 5%, and go pursue that. You will be successful with it. And I thought, you know, it was great because I went down a whole Michael Jordan rabbit hole, and it was very interesting. Now, I'm not saying Michael Jordan couldn't have been a great Major League Baseball sure. player with the right time preparation, but if you compare Michael Jordan, the baseball player, to the Michael Jordan basketball player. It's different. It is a completely different thing. You could be talking about the same person, but putting them on two different elevations. And that's something you got to think about. Are you playing baseball right now, or are you doing what you're supposed that's to, right. and you're playing basketball better than anybody else? And then I just think the last thing before I move to the next is, is, you know, have you figured out how you can make those around you better? What are you doing to be impactful to, you know, 
colleagues, your kids, your spouse. It's not just about are you doing the thing that you're excellent at, but are you providing a mechanism where you can lift up those around you? Kind of how are you having your own little abundance? Well, cycle? Paying it forward. I mean, a lot of you guys, we will do concepts we know are simple, and you probably already know this stuff, but you love watching it because you are the influence. You're the person that's paying it forward to your coworkers, to your your children, to your spouses, and and just relatives. We know that that's going on, so I think that's a great point, Bo, is know what you're good at, what is your part, and are you making the world kind of a better place with it? Love it. it. Number four. Oh, this one's good. By the way, this came from team member Eric. (laughs) Solid add-in, because it was one of those things, we had another point in here, and we're like, no, this is so much better. But here's number four. Be wary of locking into a bad long-term deal. Yeah, this one is one I actually didn't know. Uh, as I mean, I've learned a lot of stuff in the last dance, but this is one that I really didn't recognize how uh, big of a deal it was when the Bulls were going through their championship runs. Yeah, what, what ended up happening, realize Scottie Pippen was, he comes from a really, it was a humble situation where he is one of 12 kids. I'd already shared that his dad was in a wheelchair from a stroke, passed away early, had a brother who was in a freak accident, also in a wheelchair. Not a lot of money in the family, so really humble beginnings. Well, Scotty, because of the family commitments, he made some deals. And it wasn't his first deal, but he, he essentially made a deal that for five years, but it was spread out over seven to eight years because of the structure of the deal, he made $18 million mm-hmm. over that period of time. And, and he was one of the most prolific basketball players in the game at the time. And what I find interesting is his agents don't do this don't deal, do Scotty. The, the owner the, of the business, the yeah. guy sitting across the table representing the other side of the negotiation, Scotty, don't do this deal. Yep. Everybody told him, don't do this deal. So I give, you know, I give the agent, I give the owner a lot of credit because Scotty has nobody to blame but himself. But I understand there was a lot of stuff going on. But he locked himself into a deal because he had a short-term mindset. Like, I go take care of my family. Very, I think that is a great thing that he did for his family. But very short-term in his mindset because it really hurt him in the long term. Now, long. let me give you the rest of the story. My Paul Harvey. (laughs) If I asked you who made more money from playing basketball, Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen? You say Michael Jordan, of course. He was the greatest, right? Well, so, but the thing is, is that I think if you look at because of the deals that Scottie Pippen got, 1999, he signed a five year deal with the Houston Rockets for $67 million. And then 2003, the Bulls brought him back to let him play out his last two seasons for $10 million. If you add up those with the other contracts, he got to about $100 million. He got to $100 million, whereas Michael Jordan's around $93 million. So Scotty corrected the ship in the beginning, but you know, at the end of his career. But I will tell you, when he made the $18 million deal, very short-term thinking, not a long, long-term mindset. So there's some planning concepts you can get from that. Yeah, so you might be sitting there thinking, well, no one's really offering me an $18 million deal. How does this apply to me. How often, Brian, do we see potential clients, potential prospects coming to us and they were sold some uh, insurance product or some private deal or some thing with a lockup period that controls their behavior for 7, 10, 12, 15 years that may not have actually been in their best interest at all. They they make a decision right now because maybe they're afraid of the stock market or maybe they like the thought of a guaranteed rate of return. Some piece of fear and greed entices them to make that decision now that probably is not going to be the best for their long-term financial sustainability. You just said it right. Some portion of fear or greed the fear is what gets people into bad products that lock control your behavior, take away your flexibility. The greed is what gets people into dumb doctor deals yep. that also lock your behavior down and, and maybe lead you in a wrong direction. But I want to go even – I think it's uh, – th- there's two other things I want to briefly touch upon. I've gotten so many comments recently that watch our show – and I realize these people aren't part of the Money Guy family yet. Yet. But they, but they will say something like – I don't know that I agree with this whole deferred gratification concept because I know too many people that have died in their 30s and 40s. They always have this woeful tell of somebody who died prematurely and early. And yes, we all know somebody who passed away unexpectedly and sadly. And, you know, and, and so, but I don't know that you should plan on that being your excuse on why you don't save for the future. Because I will tell you guys, 
if you can do a little bit of today for a great, big, beautiful tomorrow, you will be so rewarded in the long term because statistically, you are going to live to be a ripe old age. So you better plan accordingly. But a lot of people in the comments section have been very... You know, they've been Debbie Downer-ish saying, I'm going to live for today. And that's probably very easy to do when we just came through a pandemic. A lot of people are going, why am I saving for the future? I'm going to live for today. We'll make it through this. You need to plan accordingly. And then the last thing I'll close it out with, measure twice, cut once on big life decisions like Social Security, Mm -hmm. pension decisions. Like when you're leaving the company, if they offer you a lump sum or they offer you the, uh, you know, essentially to annuitize the pension into an income stream for the rest of your life, you're going to get a choice to a a survivor benefit. All these things are huge, Mm -hmm. huge things. You better make sure you measure twice, cut once, because you're making decisions that will impact you for many years. So don't have a short-term mindset, have a long-term mindset. I love it. Uh, the next one, uh, number five teachable concept that we pulled out of the last dance. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I mean, this is best basketball team in history. I mean, you can't – you just got to look at the results. I mean, six championships. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's unheard of. I mean, they, they, you heard Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. What was Michael Jordan looking at? He's, these guys all had two championships. Mm-hmm. Even if you go beyond the, 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 the Bulls – you go look at the Detroit Pistons. You go look at some of the teams, the the you know the 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 Lakers. They were all doing in groups of batches of two. Sure. You don't see many that pull down six over that short period of time. So it was pretty incredible. You never know when you've worked your best day. So you need to understand when things are working. Respect it. Don't take it for granted. That's what I found so interesting. Is I don't I, and obviously there's probably politics at play, but it seemed to me like the management of the Bulls organization just wouldn't recognize that. They wouldn't recognize, hey, we've kind of won the game. We've won a lot of the games. We've won six of the championships. They still felt like they needed to change something. They needed to have action to have action because they wanted to prepare for something coming. I just I, I don't know that that was the right decision. It well, it, it, it seemed a little premature. Now look, I, I recognize Jerry Krause was made to be the foil of this documentary sure. series, but there is something about the pride or overconfidence, thinking that you could take this awesomeness and redo it again yep. because it maybe it seemed too simple or it was you, so you st- and that happens all the time. I want to talk about from a planning concept. How often do we see investors who have all the components of success? Meaning that you're young, you have a great income, you have access because there is no greater time to be an investor than right now. Technology has made it where you can invest for practically free. Costs are not what keeps you out. Minimums are not what keep you out. All you have to do is have time and a little bit of money to make something happen. But somehow, investors self-sabotage because they don't realize how good things are or how much opportunity they have. And I, I think it, we even see it on the other end of that spectrum, Brian. We see folks who've done a great job. They've built their whole career. They're at the place where they're rounding third. They're coming home. And they just have this thing that they don't understand this concept of risk tolerance versus risk capacity. I've been aggressive my whole life, and so maybe I should continue to be aggressing even at retirement. And then uh, 2008 happens. And yeah. then uh, – COVID-19 happens. And all of a sudden, because you didn't recognize what got you to the game, being well diversified, taking risk-adjusted measures to build a portfolio, you didn't you you changed your course when the course didn't really need to be changed. Yeah, I mean we see this all the time because I think I'll go back to pride and overconfidence. Mm-hmm. See somebody who builds an entire portfolio that gets them to a level of success where now they should be on cruise control. Yep. They've done the all cruise the hard control, work. That's a great word. But but then they get to the point where somebody comes and it's that greed component. Mm-hmm. Somebody comes to them with a dumb doctor deal. Yep. Some private deal seems sexy because, you know, this is what rich people do with their money and they forget what brought them there. Or somebody we saw this back when we were in Atlanta is that, you know, gentlemen who had reached all financial success, started a small business, reached a level, but he wanted to help his son uh, go yeah. into yep. real estate investing. And then 2008 happened, lost it all. Yep. I mean, so you have to understand that, you know, rebuilding, sometimes it can look better on paper than the reality of it. So know what got you there and, and stick to it if it's winning. Absolutely. Number six, be the leader that puts in the work. 
too. Yeah, this is this is uh, a really interesting one because and and you know playing sports growing up, you always hear this, right? If you're going to be the team captain, if you're going to be the leader, you want everyone around you to see that you're willing to do that. You're willing to put the work. But I feel like somehow as we age, as we grow, we lose sight of that. We lose sight of being the. Hey, we we actually ought to be willing to do the same things that we're asking our folks behind us, our teammates, our other people to do with us. I'm going to give the Horace Grant quote, but then I'm going to tell you why this one gave me a little mixed. I didn't know how to present this one completely because it was a mixed bag. Oh, is it a little well, well, You know this. I mean, because um, l- let me read the Horace Grant quote first. Is when you see your leader working extremely hard in practice, you feel like if I don't give it up my all, I shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And that's one of Michael's teammates talking about how hard Michael worked in practice. But when I think about this from a philosophical standpoint of – because, Michael, if you watch this documentary, you're going to see that his teammates – because realize they're all older men now sure. they, that accomplished incredible things. But when his teammates talk about how it was to be a teammate with Michael – it's not all positive. No, it doesn't sound like it. it um, you know, so you have to, you know, because as a matter of fact, he got a little teared up in the fact because he says winning has a price. Leadership has a price. And he, he was very frank with him. If I saw you at practice not giving me the best version of yourself, I would crawl up inside of you and give you what you needed to to get the best out of you. But I think you could see when he saw these players say the things, a little bit of regret um, just because – why? I yep. mean, it, it is one of those things, and, and uh, uh, there was a tinge of regret there, and that's why he was so emotional at the end of Episode 7. That's why ESPN has been blasting out that little glimmer of, of uh-huh. moisture that was in Michael's you know, tears there. So it is one of those things, but, so, but you have to put the work in because it cuts both ways, is that people want to see somebody who works hard. And I've often said, Bo, you know this. I, I, I tell you when you're saying it, because I've met – a, I've met a billionaires mm-hmm, before, sure. and always, and you, you've, you've alluded to, man, wouldn't it be great to have that? And I'm like, look, most people, if you get to a fifty or a hundred million dollars, you go just, you go, like, man, you I'm go, happy, I got enough, I've done it. But there are people that say, nope, need more, and keep going. And Michael Jordan's kind of that way too. He's got that that mindset where he's going to win. And, and I don't know a billionaire. That's why people talk about Donald Trump, President Donald Trump. Sure. He's a billionaire. All billionaires are kind of weird. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead. Maybe I shouldn't say that out loud, but it is true. And I think Michael, by the way, Michael Jordan's a billionaire too. I think they're all wired a little differently because the typical human, when you get to a level, you just say, got enough. That's it. But there's something different about some of these people that, um, you know, winning at all costs, and you need to pay attention to that. And, but it made me think of when I read this quote about how hard Michael was. It did make me think of another great. Okay. I've talked about on the show Steve Jobs a lot. Yep. I mean, he's one of the people, I mean, one of the better memories I have of, you know, audio books that I've done with my teenage daughter was the whole Steve Jobs autobiography. autobiography. But here's a quote, because realize, just like it's Brian and Bo, I I don't want to make myself, you know, because, but, but. But there was a cool one in there, Steve Wozniak. You know, that was Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was kind of the cool one. Steve Wozniak was the kind of the guy you know that was probably actually designing the the, the computer. Um, I, you know, so I don't like, I don't know where I, I fall like into this. But but, but, but but there is. But there was Steve Wozniak was asked recently because really Steve Jobs passed away. Very so sad because there's so much potential. Sure. You don't get to be where you have all these wins where you create Apple. Then you create Pixar, and then you come back and salvage Save. what is left of Alp Apple and turn it back into a powerhouse. I mean, that that is just unbelievable. That is, he is the Michael Jordan of technology. Yep. If you think about who is the Michael Jordan of technology, it was it was Steve Jobs. But here's a quote that Steve Wozniak, his business partner, said about him. Some of my very best friends in Apple, the most creative people in Apple who worked on the Macintosh, almost all of them said they would never, ever work for Steve Jobs again. It was that bad. So here's the part that I'm struggling with, right? Like as an, as an athlete, I sit here and think, man, how cool would it have been to have been on a championship team with Michael Jordan? Or as a business owner, I sit to think, man, how cool would it have been to have started something with Steve Jobs? But when you do peel back the layers, it kind of does like – make you ask the question, is that much greatness worth it? Like, would you want to have been part of something amazing, but absolutely hated it? Absolutely just like 
chewed your fingernails on Sunday, couldn't go to practice, couldn't go to work. Is that really the kind of leader that you want to be? Is that really the kind of environment that you want to create? So I think, and that's, it's a mixed bag. So I think you have to ask yourself, planning concept, are you being a good leader? Mm-hmm. And, and, and this a leader can be not only at work, but it can be in your family, your house, as a spouse. But you need to find out there is a balance there. Sure. I mean, that's the part that all of us are trying to figure out. So figure out where you are on that and then try to make it something. And, and, and we're going to get to it in a minute. I don't want to give away what we close with, but I will tell you why is such a big component to knowing, begin with the destination in mind. Where are you going? And that will save you from a lot of this hardship. Number seven, be willing to do what others are not willing to do. Now, this one I thought was really funny, Brian, because this is one of my favorites of all the 11. Mm. And I don't don't know why, because I don't feel like this is like, especially like unique or resonates with me in any way. But when we were watching the last dance and was talking about Dennis Rodman and the kind of player he was and the way that he practiced and the thing that he focused on, it just seemed so unique to me. It just seemed so far out of everything that I've ever thought about what a professional basketball player would think about when they're at practice. Now, we know you're a great baseball player. We know you're not an Olympic swimmer. <laughs> By the way, it's a great story there. Bo can't swim. And then, um, but, look, swimming's not my jam. It's not that Bo can't swim. Let's, I, I have a hard time. I, I have to believe if I envision Bo playing basketball, he probably is more of the Dennis Rodman style than Whoa. he is from, okay, from Michael even, Jordan. I haven't even told you this. Our chat has been rife with folks requesting a live streamed 101 on Brian versus Bo. That's been going on. I would on need a here. week to prepare just because I'm 14 years older, but I think I could take you. I'm nervous he's got the sky hook and there's nothing I'll be able but, to do but about here's, it. But here's, here's the thing that, that I think is interesting. Anybody who's played basketball knows what is practice spent doing majority of the time. You're working on layups. You're working on free throws. You're working – every shot. every guy who's ever played basketball is trying to figure out how high up over the rim you can get your arm because yep. you're thinking about slamming. Those are all offensive weapons. Leave it to somebody like Dennis Rodman. He talks about what he did to be so good at rebounding is he had all of his friends get around and just start shooting the ball. He would sit under the basket and start paying attention. I got to believe this is almost like geometry Mm -hmm. to see what angles the ball was bouncing off the rim. So next time he saw a ball hit the rim that way, he'd know he'd be there. He would go to where the ball is. It's kind of that Wayne Gretzky's, I don't skate to where the puck was. I go to where it is going to be. It's kind of the same way. I I totally slaughtered that that, that (laughs) quote. But everybody knows who knows Wayne Gretzky's quote will know what I'm talking about. Dennis Rodman was doing the exact same thing with basketball. And I love that, that he was willing to do the stuff that others were not willing to do. And and both compliment to you, and you know this is part of my story too. I got my first job. By doing what other people sure. weren't willing to do. I went and interviewed a client of the firm I was trying to get a job at. You called me up and had a very – called me up like two two months later, later two and a half months after later. After you didn't give me the after job. After I didn't give you the job and talked me into hiring you. <laughs> I mean, those are the things. You have to be willing to do the stuff that others aren't willing to do. So let's talk about this. How do you pull this into a planning concept – because we've just came through one of these yeah. teachable moments. You know, immediately, you know, I don't know if uh, Warren Buffett and Dennis Rodman are friends and they hang out. But the that's thought, LeBron the and, thought, that's LeBron and the Warren. thought that I immediately thought about is, you know, when you say do what others aren't willing to do, focus on something that others. That immediately made me think about the Warren Buffett quote: "Be fearful when others are greedy. Be greedy when others are feel, fearful. Learn how to be a specialist. Learn how to be a contrarian." As an investor, all the time, we're taught and told to, to do things like everyone else does. Oh, if you watch the news, the market's scary. You got to get out. Go to cash. Go buy gold. Build your seed bank. Fill in the blank. And a lot of times, if you do those things, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're not focusing on the thing that's going to make you successful. Yeah. that's So be a little Dennis Rodman there. Do the things that others aren't willing to do. Who would have ever thought on the Money Guy show <laughs> the piece of advice we would give is to go be Dennis Rodman? So number eight, I love this one. Diversify your income streams and assets. And I think it's very appropriate that the picture that we have on the background on this is Michael Jordan with the first Air Jordans mm-hmm. version one. Um, and, and this was your add-in. I thought this was great because you're too young to be adding this comment, but it shows how... <laughs> Unique your childhood was. 
Michael Jordan is what Al Bundy always aspired to be. Yeah, man. In my in my world, Michael Jordan is the single best shoe salesman that ever lived. Yeah, Al I, Bundy I mean, from Married <laughs> with Children. By the way, you can just glean whatever things you want to from Bo's childhood from that statement. By the way, but, none of our workforce had ever heard of that show. Yeah. No one even knew what that was. Married with Children. So Al Bundy was a shoe salesman. And Michael Jordan, by the way, is crushing it. That's why I made the, the statement earlier. We think Scottie Pippen was way underpaid. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't realize Michael Jordan in a lot of aspects was also greatly underpaid sure. as an NBA player. But nobody cared because they knew he was making an absolute fortune off of Nike. And let's let's talk about this. Air Jordan, if you don't know, because this is this is the part that always blows my mind. I already I, when pre-show we were talking about this. When I'm watching a college football game, can't wait for the fall. Please come back, college football. <laughs> um, I, it cracks me up when I see a football player's jersey and there's the Air Jordan logo sitting right there. I'm like, it's the wrong sport. You're not even the right he's place. Playing, he's, even the picture is of him slamming a basketball is on a football yep. player's jersey. And that football player is daggum excited yep. that that Air Jordan brand is there. And the reason is, is because this brand is through the roof. And by the way, what has Last Dance done, Last Dance done? Probably another generation of people will understand Absolutely. why Air Jordan is so popular. And this is why it is estimated that Michael Jordan is worth $2.1 billion. And I, I would argue that it, it's, it's not because of the money he made as a basketball player specifically. It's because he understood diversified well, income streams. He made $93, million, $93, $94 million as an NBA player. But now he, it's estimated he makes around $130 million a year. A, a year, year from a year, Air Jordan. From Air Jordan's. I mean, so it's, it's kind of an incra a crazy thing. And, but that's not it. Michael Jordan also has Gatorade. He has Hanes. Mm -hmm. He has Upper Deck. I mean, he's really diversified a lot of his um, his his income sources, and it's incredible. And this is the last thing, and then I'll t put the teachable moment. But I think these I will have to give you some stats when I see it. But Michael Jordan didn't want to work for Nike, by the way. He wanted Which, to work with Adidas. Most unbelievable part of the whole documentary. Don't you me. think Adidas is probably going? How did we screw that up? I mean, we would be a completely different company if we, if we had had Michael Jordan. So, but they gave it. He didn't even want to go to the meeting with his mom, with Nike. His mom, yeah, yeah had to basically said, bully him son, into doing go. it. But here's the thing: Nike had the expectation that by the end of year four, they wanted to have sold three million dollars of Air Jordans. Mm -hmm. First year that Air Jordans are released, they sell $126 million. I can't fathom, like, to, to have an investment or that level of success to that to that extent, that unknown extent. And and I love the tagline from the campaign that came out of that. It must be the shoes. Must be the shoes. Because he was so daggum good when you saw him play. You're like, it has to be the shoes. Tell me that doesn't create a brand that people Absolutely. want to be a part of. And that's let's, let's talk about planning opportunities from that. Diversification is your friend. I mean, this is one of those things, the bigger your portfolio, the bigger your enterprise gets, the more you need to diversify where your income streams are coming from. Yep. So you think about it. If you own a small business and it's making great income streams, this pandemic is probably showing you, whoa, things mm -hmm. can turn on a dime. I better make sure I spread my income sources out a little bit yeah, more. Look, I don't want to pick on anybody, but we talk about this all the time, Brian. In one specific industry, the, the builder, real estate developer industry, very often we see them go from one deal, roll it into another deal, roll it into another deal. And the only game that they're playing is they hope that the last deal that they do works out. It's a that's boom or bust cycle. Exactly and that's what right. you want to diversify a little bit so it's not always a boom or bust. Yep. You know, you either way on top or, or you fall all the way to the bottom. And that's why we talk about army of dollar bills. Because yep. what, what is the whole purpose of you having an army of $1 bills that are working just as hard for you that you are with your back, your brains, and your back? Um, I said back twice. Your you back, can, brains, you and hands. It's all right. I, you know, I got excited about it. But it is. <laughs> the concept holds that you want your money working as hard as you do yep. because that's where true financial independence happens. And then, Bo, you brought up in pre-show planning, net worth statements. Yeah, if you don't know if you're diversified, right, one of the best ways to be able to tell if your assets are diversified, if you're spreading it out well, and not just across types of investment, but even like tax status. Am I doing, are all my assets in pre-tax? Do I have any abstracts? You should be doing a net worth statement every single year, at least annually. If you're not doing that, you're just flying blind. I th it's something I started doing 
way back over a decade ago, and I'm so glad now because I can actually see the path that I've moved on and how as my circumstances have grown, so too is the diversification and breadth of my entire financial life. And, and you know my regret. I, I didn't start doing a net worth statement until 2006. Yep. So I'm only 14 years into it. I would have loved to have had that net worth statement back pre-2006. Number nine, let's talk about don't let short-term emotions cause you to make a decision with long-term impacts. But what am I talking about there? Yeah, this one was really frustrating to me because, again, this is a part of the story I didn't know. Uh, it was in, uh, I think it was the semifinals or something like that. Uh, Scottie Pippen, this is when... In the year that Jordan was playing baseball. In the baseball. year that he was gone. So, he was off the, so Scottie P Pippen had kind of risen to be the team captain. And he was the leader. And it came down to the last few seconds. And Phil Jackson, rather than calling a play that put the ball in Scottie Pippen's hands, he put it in Tony Kukoc's hands, right? Exactly. And Scottie was so upset about that, he said, I'm not going in. Yeah. Like when his team needed him the most, because he was emotional, because he didn't get his number called, he chose to sat that sit that play out. As an athlete, or as a former athlete, <laughs> that's just mind-blowing to me. Like that, you can that, call that yourself was, an athlete. You nah, have a gym in, your, in yeah. your garage. Well, I do have a gym in my garage. But I just, it, it, it blew my mind. That Scotty did that because here's what here's what I think is so sad. It did tarnish his reputation a little bit. He had to carry the weight of that very emotional, very short term, very small decision into the rest of the games they played that year into the next season. He had to overcome that all because of one very quick lapse of judgment and because we he knew better. We see this all the time in financial matters too. Is that if you're looking at planning concepts from this, is that we see people all the time. Through emotional, once again, just like Scottie Pippen, very emotional, make a short-term decision that has huge, not a ripple effect, but a wave, a crashing tsunami of a wave from making this 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 behavioral thing. And, and here's here's what let me give you some examples. We just came through a pandemic. Markets got beat up. If you went to cash on March 24th, oh. holy cow, you're probably yeah. like, whoo. When, when we're going to get back in this thing, you know, because we've had a huge recovery. It might have felt good for a moment, but you're not feeling great right now because of that decision. And we've seen, I mean, we, we fortunately, our clients have held up nicely, but sure. we have prospects that call us that that is exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. and they're trying to, they call us to try to figure out how do we get, how do, how do I we do this? Back? How do I get move. back into this? Yep. I can't figure out how to get back in. Because remember, when you time the market like that, yeah, Bo nailed it. In the short term, it might make you feel really good to, to go to cash, get the volatility out of the way. But man, as things start to recover, when we hit that V-shape recovery and you're like, what did I do? Oh gosh, yep. what how do I get back into this thing? So and that and you also put we put this into the show notes. Just because you're upset at your boss mm -hmm. doesn't mean you should necessarily have your Jerry Maguire moment. I know that's starting to show some age on yeah. it, but realize Jerry Maguire was one of these guys who got very upset with his boss. Decided to go leave and start his own company. Now it worked out great, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not even going to say I didn't follow something like that. But the difference is, you didn't make an emotional decision. Exactly. You planned and you planned and you planned, and then you did it. It wasn't a short-term emotional. I'm going to do this. I have given counsel to friends when they come to me and they tell me of how dead end their job is, or there's something going on that just makes them really sad. I'm like, okay, but let's talk about where you go from here. What, what is success from here? Because you're just quitting your job. I'm thinking three steps ahead is, yeah, it's going to make you feel better that you went and told, had that take this job and shove yeah, it yeah. moment, and you're going to stick it to them, especially if you're on a big project, you're an important person. But what does that look like for your family? What does that look like for you financially? You better do some planning. Measure twice, cut once, so that you don't get yourself in a bind because you're just looking for that short-term short boost. So pay attention to that, and, and, and I think you will be much better served. Love it. Let's move to a fun one. <laughs> I like this one because this one was one of my favorite parts of The Last Dance was slide 10 was... Being good at what you do may result in extra flexibility at work. Uh, yeah, this one, you know, so a lot of people in this, again, if you're listening to this on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, we do a live stream. And so people have been saying, man, I can't wait to hear what their advice is going to be about going to Vegas or about leaving work or about Carmen Electra. I can't wait to see what their advice is well, there. Well, I mean, but we thought about this because uh, we were like, man, how good must Dennis Rodman have been that his coach... Because just to set this up, and by the way, I, nobody is as good of a storyteller as Michael Jordan is. Yep. I, I, I realize not only is he a great basketball player, great storyteller. Because he was like, one of the things he shared was he got called into the office. And who's in the office? Is Dennis Rodman, Phil Jackson, 
and then Scotty Pippen. And the coach tells Michael, "Hey, Dennis is um saying he's kind of he's kind of up to you know up to here, and um he needs a vacation. He needs a vacation. <laughs> and Jordan's like, if anybody needs a vacation, it's me. <laughs> no, but he's got to blow some steam off, you know. And, and Scotty and, and it, Phil Jackson's like." If I give you 48 hours, Dennis, you know, because he wants to go to Vegas. Right. I mean, this is your coach yeah. saying 48 hours. Dennis Rodman, in the middle of a season, got to go to Vegas, and they show clips of him coming off airplane, shotgunning a Miller Lite, or was it a Coors or a Miller Lite, and then beer. jumping on a motorcycle and driving off to go to Vegas, or he's in Vegas, and you're like, where in the world does this happen? And then what I thought it was great about the storytelling is that Michael Jordan, because of course Dennis Rodman didn't come back in 48 hours. Right. And it comes time, do they need to go practice? Because they have a game coming up. And you see Michael Jordan say, I'm not going to tell you who was in the room, but I burst into that room in Vegas and I dragged his butt out of bed and took him. And then they immediately flashed to Carmen Electra and she goes, and Michael Jordan came bursting into the room. I mean, it was totally great editing. I give the credit to the producers for and the directors. Great editing because Michael Jordan's like, I'm not going to tell you who's in the room. And then you got Carmen Electra telling you right there. So very unique situation that Dennis Rodman on such a valuable team, I mean, a team that is going towards championship – was so good at his job that he was not only, and this is what the show realized, this guy was also wrestling <laughs> in the world wrestling. I mean, I don't care if it was WWF it was or WWE yeah. or whatever it was, but or, or WCW. I mean, Dennis Rodman was doing it all. That shows how good he was. And I want you to think about that. If you're thinking about planning concepts of how you can do this, if you're really good at what you do, you're gonna have options. Yep. I will because, like, I'll tell you, pr- one of our principals here at the firm is Carter. Mm-hmm. He's he's one of the main guys here. Um, Carter came to us a few years ago and says, "I want to I, I want to dump my PC and go to a Mac. You know, go to a, a Mac." Like, dude, we're in the business world. You don't it doesn't do make Macs. Sense to do that. You know, if we podcast has a, a Macintosh, right. I mean, that's where. But but you're a freaking financial planner. Uh-huh. But he is so good at his job. Guess who has a MacBook? Carter. Carter. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. If you are good at what you do and people recognize it, know you're still going to put in the work, you could get extra flexibility. I mean, that is something I want you to just always think about that. If you are as good, you're going to probably get some opportunities there. And plus, it allowed me to tell the Carmen Electra story. Oh, and I think another oppor- opportunity is, you know, the, the better of a saver, and a, it's not just being good at work. I mean, that was what Dennis's thing. But the better of a saver, the better of an accumulator you are, the more diversified you spread your, t- the more flexibility you're going to have when you get to retirement. If you can be good at something, if you're just a good wealth builder, the better you are at that, the more flexibility it's going to afford you in retirement. So think about that. When you're doing the deferred gratification, taking a little bit of today for a great, big, beautiful tomorrow, I want you to think about this is so you can chug the beer and jump on the motorcycle <laughs> just like Dennis Rodman because Carmen Electra is waiting As on you. As the chief compliance officer, I need to come out and say that <laughs> uh, what, the Money Guy Show does I mean, not advocate for Dennis drinking and motorcycling in Vegas. Yeah, we, we didn't even go into the hairstyles <laughs> and the um, tattoos. Who would have known Wesley Snipes was such a great motivation <laughs> For, um, he really yeah. didn't do a Wesley Snipes hairdo to start. That was, so, that was we can go on. Out. Dennis Rodman, man. If you're watching the show, come hang out in Nashville. I heard you had a bad oh, first like impression. He we'll said... hook you up the next time you come. I don't know if we could hang with Dennis. So. <laughs> not, not Number chance. 11. Know what makes you happy. Because this one's serious, because we just came from Dennis Rodman and now we're number 11. Know what makes you happy because success may be more empty. Then you realize, and this one was kind of, I can't remember, was this episode six where they're showing the ad campaign where Michael Jordan's talking about. Oh, where it starts out, everyone wants to be like Everybody Mike. wants to be, because there was the Be Like Mike mm-hmm. campaign. And everybody wanted to, you know, think about, because, I mean, Michael Jordan was on top of the world. Absolutely one of the most, I mean, if you think about top five people, probably Michael Jackson, Madonna. I said Oprah. I was trying mm-hmm. to think of who had, you know, who would, when you went out in public, probably, like right now, Taylor Swift would probably recognizable, be yeah. the type of person that when, you know, like when you watch that Taylor Swift documentary, you get the same feeling that she can't leave her house. That's right. It makes her miserable. Michael Jordan's the same way. You see him laying on a couch in a hotel smoking a cigar. By the way, that's no, I don't think they let you do that anymore. <laughs> but back in the 90s, you could smoke a cigar anywhere, obviously. And by the way, you smoke a cigar before you played in I'm games, I was about to say, too. in the locker room. So I, it's kind of, but, but it is one of those things where he only got to be himself or be around. And you even said in pre-show planning, 
Do you think Michael Jordan has a lot of friends? Yeah, that was something I was really curious about because you hear all these players talk, oh, yeah, he's the greatest, he's the greatest, he's the greatest. Oh, no, playing with him was horrible. Being on this team was horrible. And I did wonder, like, does he, you know, does he have close friends? Does he have, I mean, everyone loves Michael and everybody wants to be around Michael, but does he actually have any friends? And that was kind of sad for me to to, to kind of think about and get my head wrapped around. So I thought about this in terms of, I hear everybody out there, and and look, I've been on this journey too, and you have as well, Bo. Started from very humble beginnings, mm-hmm. come from nothing, now start to have some success, and it lets you gives you a perspective. I don't think people who haven't reached, you know that you know that status, that millionaire status you're trying to reach, you get here, and then you're like, "There's great, it's good, but there's some stuff that I might have gotten wrong." Because that's why I always ask people when you tell me you want to be rich or famous mm-hmm. or have all this wealth, I always say, "Why." Yep. Because there's, that, that's the big part, because without the why, I think you're going to be greatly disappointed because you're sure. going to wake up. You know, I've, I've dealt with so many business owners, they sell a business. I mean, we've had clients sell businesses for upwards of $100, $100 million. million dollars. Yeah. They wake up one day this way, wake up another, and now they have this big pot of money. And and it's it's not, if you don't know why you're doing it, why you're waking up in the morning, it can be completely empty for yep. you. And, and I thought this was a great stat that we got FTE Daniel to go pull for us. From a 2014 study, it found that famous musicians and rock stars die from unnatural causes five to ten times more than the general population. And they live 25 years less than average. Yeah, and you know, that's... Uh, it, it sounds like there's a burden. There's a heaviness that comes with fa- fame and notoriety and that kind of stuff that maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. Maybe if the only reason you want to be famous is so that you can be famous, maybe you're asking for something that you don't really want. Well, and, and I think about like Michael Jordan was held up as this great role model. Tiger Woods was kind sure. of in this thing. And then you find out they're just human like the rest of yep. us. And I, and, I, and I want to get to the planning concept, but I do want to make sure I get this in before we close the show. Michael Jordan, because you had mentioned, do people know who he was? I think it is so interesting how history previously, now I think it's going to be completely different now with Last Dance, but previously they judged Michael because of this gambling. The press did a railroad job on him. But you have to realize you don't get the competitive guy that won all these championships and not get that quirkiness that probably needed to scratch the itch with gambling or something else. And that's probably, but I did feel like sometimes Michael was just winning for the sake of winning. Yep. And I want to talk about planning concepts so you can make sure you do this right. And what do we say is the first way to lead yourself out of this? Yeah, the, the thing you have to understand is it is exactly what you said, your why. And one thing that you've impressed upon me just tons over the years, Brian, is I've been thinking about the different levels of achievement and the different accomplish, accomplishments that I want to have. You said, hey, slow down, yeah. you know. The journey might be part of it. And I think if you were to ask Michael, he he was racing to be the best, to be the best, to be the best. What was actually fulfilling is the journey of getting there, yeah. winning the six championships and going through that and putting in the time and doing financial independence and building wealth is kind of the same sort of thing. Everybody wants to be wealthy, but as I've kind of moved in that direction, it's the journey. It's the small little things that you do along to get there that are kind of, that are kind of fulfilling. Talking about that advisor skills failure that we had <laughs> 10 years ago and what it's ultimately led to with the success of this show, it's, it's kind of fun. It's gratifying. And if you would asked about then, I would have wanted advisor skills to blow up and be the biggest thing out there. Yeah. But the journey of going through that and coming down, and re- I think that's been a lot more fulfilling going on the journey than actually – having the success of it. Well, you said two things there, fulfilling and then why. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are the parts because here's the thing, I'm going to just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. It's never going to be enough. Yep. And I, that's the biggest thing I've realized is that um, there's this, this concept called the hedonic treadmill, meaning that uh, you know you need to, as you have success, spend, do things slowly so you savor it. So like if you won the lottery, the biggest mistakes people who win the lottery do they don't just go buy like a fancy car. They'll go buy them a new house. Then they go buy a lake house. Mm-hmm. And then they go buy, you know, this, this, this. They just stack on whatever. And they do it all at once that you're so numb through yep. the experience that you don't even you didn't even get to enjoy it. You That's didn't right. get to get the process. Stagger the good stuff so that you enjoy this purchase here. Yep. Stagger enough time, you enjoy this. That's why I love trips, is because you get to look for the anticipation is part of it. And it helps you with the why. Because if you just have the goal, you're going to find that once you reach that goal, if you didn't have the why, 
you probably go lose some of the purpose. You go yep. lose some of the fulfillment. So so focus on that. And uh, and I think if you understand the happiness is that journey that mm-hmm. you mentioned and the, that you can look back and have teachable moments, but also keep yourself to a humble level. Um, once you have success, it will, the, the why keeps you grounded in a lot yep. of ways. That worldview never gets completely distorted that, that I see a lot of people with success that leads to that depression and leads to the emptiness that, that's, that's really scary. Man, I, I have, I've loved going through, I know we're only uh, eight out of the 10 through, I'm so excited for the last two episodes. I'm yeah. so excited to see where this goes. Because, man, it's been awesome. It's just been awesome watching something so great chronicled all throughout the 90s. Uh, and I just, I don't know. I've had a lot of fun. You got to live through it. I mean, I lived through it too, but I just wasn't paying attention. I've loved every second of watching these things. No, it's been good. And I think it really probably has. I, I was, I went to our gym. I have a, you know, I got to go to the gym one of the first times. So all the all of you who've left mean comments saying when did Brian get fat? <laughs> it's um we're about to come to a close on that because I'm back to to going to the gym and they while I was changing at the gym, they um they had ESPN, you know, they they were debating whose team would you want to be on, LeBron's or Jordan's. So there's probably a whole new generation sure. that is gonna know just how great that team was of the Chicago Bulls in the nineties. And it was just fun. So go check it out. You know, we get nothing for this. It's not like ESPN goes, hey, you know what we need in our marketing plan? The Money, Money Guy <laughs> Show. That was not part of it. But, but it ESPN, was one of, if, you, if you want to be in our mar- if you want us to be it, we're happy. We'll do it. But it was one of those things that we got so much enjoyment, we wanted to tell you about it. So go on the journey. Go check it out. But also remember, a lot of teachable concepts, abundance cycle, come learn, apply, grow. We think all things in life, you can keep the curiosity for life. There's so much to be taught and learned. And if you just don't want to pay attention, we'll help you do that. We'll fill in the gaps so you don't have to go learn all these things yourself. You can just enjoy it. We'll take the pictures. We'll do the journaling for you so that you get the nice little brochure of all the concepts you should have learned from The Last Dance. But, guys, we love the Money Guy family, and thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Brian Preston, Mr. Bo Hansen. Subscribe, ring the bell for great service. We'll talk to you soon. The Money Guy Show is hosted by Brian Preston. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through The Money Guy Show. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.